Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Deister. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. It helps us out quite a bit. And this week, we have Danny Craig, who is Director of Public Relations for Stan Tech. And he's had more than 18 years of experience in the industry, managing different types of talents. He's done crisis communication, social media for global presence for different firms. He's also a specialist in crisis communication, and he's been a really big supporter for PRSA for the Orange County chapter. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. First question I ask my guest is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? (laughs) That's a good one. I am a coffee drinker. In the morning, I do like to have an Americano. I just think it's a little bit more refreshing because it's it's not a latte, which comes with kind of a lot of the heavy ingredients, but it's also not just a cup of straight Joe. You know, it's, it's good espresso with boiling water, and I think there's something about that morning visual of watching the hot water go into the espresso and the explosion of steam coming out of the cup that just has become part of what I need to wake up in the morning. <laughs> I was about to say, you like your espresso with water, because that's what Americano is, for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, what has been some of your greatest accomplishments as a PR pro? I think if this gives you an inclination on maybe the diversity of, of experiences I've had in my career, there are three major experiences or accomplishments that I like to share that tell people a little bit about where I've been. Number one, I had the good fortune in the agency setting of working for a major quick service retail concept, which most people have heard of called Hot Dog on a Stick. And in that campaign that we did for their 60th anniversary, we did a tremendous amount of TV and and multimedia placements. It was back before really the advent of social media, but it was tremendous fun and it was highly regarded in the industry and won a number of awards and that was just a lot of fun and it was a great brand to work with and and clearly a lot of high energy personalities. Number two, took a great amount of pride just in having been awarded the Distinguished Service Award from the Orange County chapter of the Public Relations Society of America. Amazing organization and I look at the people that they've given that award to in the past for service to the industry. And it's it's that's to me the honor, the, the people who are really these matriarchal and patriarchal figures in our industry locally to have your name attached to that group is just an incredible honor. And then lastly, in my current role at Stantec, the you know, the organization has grown tremendously over the time that I've been there and going on eleven years. When I came to the organization, it was a eighty five hundred person company. It's now a twenty three thousand person firm. The organization went from having a very small, intimate public relations function since arriving at the organization and having a regional role. It was given the opportunity then to pursue the director role to kind of manage the PR function. And I built out a team of 17 professionals who are so insanely talented and creative. They inspire me. I learn from them. 
And also, as a group, we've really demonstrated the, the value and the impact of PR in the organization. So just being able to create something in an organization that wasn't there and is demonstrating every day the value for our industry is really rewarding. Oh, yes. I remember hot dog on a stick. That was a staple in the malls. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. You watching them, the, the secret ingredients involved in making the lemonade, the, I think it's actually a patented system for how they dip their sticks in the batter, all of those little nuances and, and trade secrets that we got to document out. It was a really a fun campaign. <laughs> I just remember the uniforms. They were really bright. Yeah. Still are. Still are indeed. And also with PRSA, I was actually part of PRSSA, which is the student side of people don't know listening to it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a great facet of the organization. And there are a number of people who I am aware of who really began their career in PRSSSA and who are now really recognized leaders in the industry because they came and they were students of the industry. And I meant that in more ways than one as well, students of the industry. Also, just being connected to a peer group to do career tracking and to really understand the progressive tactics and strategies that are at bay out there. And to be able to bring that back to your employers or your clients at a very younger stage of your career is a real tribute to the people who are involved in it. My group, we did the San Diego National Conference. Oh, sure. That was part of CSFU and SDSU. Those were the two colleges coming together to actually make it in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. But moving on to what are some of the problems or roadblocks you see in the PR industry? In our chapter of this industry journey that the public relations is in, right now, I think definition and identity are, are really critical. Having dimensionality to what we do as an industry. And by that, I mean, we're, I remember for the past 10 or 15 years, every year we talk about the, the shifting media landscape and public relations. It's kind of almost a cliche at this point. It's very true now in a lot of ways. I think that what's changed is that we are going from a phase where in many ways we didn't want people who were singular focused tacticians to help define the industry, meaning we didn't want people that were just copywriters in the function. We didn't want people that were just digital specialists. To be a good PR professional, you really needed to be a jack of several trades and you needed to understand all of the functions on, on kind of more a strategic and conceptual level. And I think that's changed a lot. And we have to embrace it a little more than maybe we have in the last couple of years. If you look at even the kind of hiring trends in the industry back in the early 2000s, we were trending away from hiring a lot of former journalists in the industry because at the time, the theory was that while they were great with content creation, that maybe some of these professionals weren't going to have as much experience with crisis communications or strategic counsel. And to now, there's a demand for both of those things and maybe more equal parts than there were back then. So now when you look at what challenges we're facing, it's to understand that public relations does need to include content creators, people who are social media specialists, some people who frankly don't need to be, quote unquote, in the boardroom, but are an integral part of the function and building out campaigns. 
while there still needs to be in a campaign or in a a team dynamic, the person who is a strategist and who understands kind of all the facets of a campaign, there's, I think, more demand now for those singular focused professionals. And we're needing to catch up to that trend, I think, very quickly, maybe more than, than we are in reality in some place. You should probably also add podcast production eventually. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you look at what's happening now in the demand for podcast content. I think there's in some ways a appreciation, but maybe not understanding for that medium as well as we should as an industry. I mean, obviously preaching to the choir a little bit here. But if you look at the top 10 most downloaded podcasts, I think it was as of Q1, I mean, Dateline, NBC, and the New York Times are on the top 10 list. Media, are the, the groups that we refer to as traditional media are joining that trend. And yet, it, it's a concept that's very easy to start discussing with your clients and to start getting eager and excited about without first stopping and, and thinking about whether or not you have that unique value proposition and really content strategy or a kind of thematic concept that's going to draw in the content that you need by way of you know guests and things to populate that medium and also to make sure that you've got the bandwidth to maintain the cadence that's needed the way that you do Brett, where you've got regular schedule of speakers that are coming in and you have a customer base that can kind of depend on that. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is the amount of dedicated time and staff it takes to manage podcast content. At at Stantec, we've had some successful forays in podcasting and facilitating that ourselves. But even in our organization and in most organizations, it's a constant education for the people that you're bringing into the medium to make sure they understand the commitment involved because it's very easy to start looking at it as a buzzword rather than a strategy with the full definition of everything that's involved in it. But boy, oh boy, is it interesting now. I think what podcasting is demonstrating is that while people are critical in some cases of like the death of long-form print content, I mean, people were so angry when USA Today years ago created their short tabloid style format to take news stories of the day and compartmentalize them into short form articles. And many people are saying that now social media and Instagram and all these other media and Twitter are condensing our appetite for long form content. Podcasts are really showing maybe a contrary position to that. People have patience for good content. And I think they're interested in hearing long-form conversations and insights that this is just a medium where I think they're attracted to now. Mm-hmm. And this kind of helps springboard into the question about what are the current trends that you see in the PR industry in 2020 and beyond? Well, I think we're kind of touching on a little bit of it, but I do think that content development is becoming a critical function and it has been for a few years. I mean, I think I remember hearing Edelman two, three years ago, they were starting to invest in a creative department. So recognizing, you know, the the shift in the ability for media to continue staffing the function and understanding that now there's kind of brand-centric journalism out there, I think it's becoming an even more critical trend now. Those professionals we talked about earlier who 
have either that journalistic or content gen background or finding new roles popping up to support brands directly and our ability to recognize the power of that vehicle and to support it with digital promotion is, I think, more critical than ever before. And yes, I do think the pandemic has also influenced that in an incredibly dramatic degree. I also think in that same regard, for the brands for whom this is relevant, employee activation, using employees and staff as ambassadors, especially, you know, I've worked in the B2B space, so this is increasingly relevant where I work, but Having your employees kind of become your influencers and brand activists is becoming, I think, increasingly important. And and you're seeing that quite a bit now, even in the pandemic response. The majority of the stories that are really creating a human connection with brands are from the people who are working for them. And those are getting elevated by the organizations. And then I think the last one, which is no surprise to anybody, but as we look at this continued sort of digitization of what we do, I, I think there's an increasing demand to utilize data to showcase the results in, in what we do, even in the traditional side of PR. I mean, obviously, you know, we know there are a number of scheduling and monitoring tools out there for social media that can give clients, you know, the intelligence on interactions or, um, you know, conversions and CTAs that have happened. but even as we look at traditional media and we need to continue to explain to clients the value of traditional media in this new forum, I find it really interesting how you can uh, use tools like Fission to not just give clients the vanity metrics about you know impressions and circulation and things like that, but those tools are now providing you with intelligence to show how a piece of traditional media performed on social media. So you can take a, a, a traditional placement and now there's data to show you the virality of that piece on social media, even if it was or wasn't driven by your brand. So you can go to a client and talk about how that's performing in theory and in actuality in the digital space, which I think is really fascinating. And it's demonstrating kind of something different and new for a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I was going to actually ask you like more specifically, how has the pandemic changed the trends from the beginning of 2020 to now? Well, I think the number one thing that a lot of people are obviously recognizing is that there's no venues to physically connect with customers now. And in some markets and in some industries that maybe not be as much a nuance, but for the majority of B2C and even B2B work that's going on, there's still kind of a reliance on supporting events or, you know, whether it's conferences, trade shows, business, special events, milestones taking place around particular products. We still rely on that physical space. So I think creating virtual interactions with customers has kind of been one of the, I think one of the the most difficult, but exciting, dare I say, opportunities to really, showcase for clients, you know, the impact of paid social, for example, and to use it really responsibly and to create new conversations. In some ways, it's also generating this greater responsibility to make sure that we're not just throwing lots of words and terms at our clients in light of maybe um, stress 
we can start talking about webinars and live streams and paid social or VR, all these things, just because we want to make sure we're giving ideas that sound relevant and different. But I think there's still that responsibility to stop and think about what your kind of unique content proposition is as a company and to make sure that you're recommending the right tactical venues where you can connect with customers. But, you know, it's that old adage of the challenge mixed with an opportunity, but I think our industry has a really interesting and exciting platform right now to showcase just how nimble we are. Yeah. I mean, it's true that PR pros kind of have to be almost the jack of all trades or the Jill of all trades. From, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. From just not even writing, but also content creation, like you said before. Yeah. And, and being, I think, demonstrating business acumen too, right? In this climate and understanding the impacts of the organization that you're supporting, whether it's indirectly as a consultant or, or directly as an employee, but really understanding the communications function at a higher level, because I think there's been a real demand for beautifully articulated content, both that's customer facing and from leadership within an organization and both those demands have been really intense but rewarding to be able to support brands in that way right now. And you did talk about like employees and using employees more for PR. Do you think that also applies to actually making employees more influencers and experts that aren't on the top, but maybe in like middle management or even maybe a little below? I think that's, yeah, I couldn't agree more. In an organization, sometimes the people who can articulate things in the most energetic and strategic manner aren't always your technical experts in an organization. And if you look at in mainstream media, the people that we go to as technical experts to contribute to big news cycles, they aren't typically the people that are embedded in the CDC talking about, for example, the pandemic or the coronavirus. They're going to people who can accessibly explain the value or the interest or essentially a concept within a brand. And so I think it's been a tremendous time for PR professionals to start identifying who some of those people are within an organization. And to your point, they can be mid-level folks. They can be senior-level folks. But right now, there's a lot of opportunity to show, you know, to show retrospective also to showcase new ideas. I think this is kind of an interesting window to do that. Mm -hmm. And for PR pros, do you think they should start learning or new or old should start learning live stream production, lighting and all that other stuff? Because it seems like live streaming is becoming more and more important. I absolutely. And like with anything, it's the same thread that I would mention relative to our, our topic on podcasting, it, it comes with an air of responsibility. I mean, let's take Instagram, for example. I think now if you open up your app on your phone, there's no fewer than five brands doing some kind of Instagram live feed. And there's going to be fatigue very quickly in the industry unless people innovate and or find kind of a new way to either make the, the content more visually interesting or figure out a way to infuse different personalities or to have some sort of thematic thread around the types of personalities that are a part of those live stream productions. But I think that's 
an interesting brainstorm to have right now with your clients because there is clearly a very accessible tool out there with live streaming across the various different platforms that you can do it. But I, I think it's it does need to be interactive. I think that's another thing that you're seeing with a lot of the stream productions is sometimes there has to be a real balance of that push and pull in, in how you're communicating, making sure that you're creating a stream that's interesting, but you almost, like you said, you have to have the lighting. You have to have a little bit of a staffing function too so that an individual who is doing that live stream is actually interacting with the questions that are popping up because I think that's very quickly becoming a differentiator in different streams. But I do think it's it's an interesting time because, you know, when you look at the influence of streaming on media, it's interesting. Like right now, I, I saw this morning in the Morning Brew, it's a great newsletter, by the way, for PR professionals and anyone else. It's not actually specific to our industry, but it's a daily newsletter with bite-sized snapshots of what's going on in the market. I noticed that the Atlantic, you know, major publishing media company is laying off 17% of its employees, which isn't just the magazine function, but that's also Vice Media, that's also BuzzFeed. And the irony is that they're having to lay people off because ad revenue is down. And yet media companies are also being faced with a tremendous uptick in subscriptions because why? People are hungry for content. People are hungry for long-form content, especially in the landscape that we're all living and working in right now. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a race, frankly, in who can produce that for consumers first. Because you've got now a lot of media companies, some of which may be able to react quickly enough, knowing now that they've got more viewership, but they've lost ad revenue. So they are going to have to go into business development mode and bring people in or they're going to be focused on or brands are going to be the ones that are attracting that appetite you know among consumers that you're seeing by way of behavior with paying for subscriptions that they haven't had in years they want the content and it's going to be a race to see who, who catches them first whether it's the brands or the media but in all honesty a lot of the brands and the clients that we represent have a better chance of meeting there because we've got less barriers. We already have the staffing. We already have the capability. It's just a matter of mobilizing quickly enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And for those out there, for you, if you ever want to figure out how to do live streaming well, look to gaming, look to Twitch and Mixer and all that stuff because they've been doing it for a while. That's a great point. I would love for my, my sons to stop watching all of that live streaming. <laughs> It is amazing watching two young people. They can sit there and watch Twitch for two straight hours. Well, unfortunately, part of the older side, so I don't really watch it that much. <laughs> but I do know that gamers know how to do live streaming. So if you really want to understand that, because they've been doing it. Twitch has been around for years now. So the best way to do it is look at what gamers have done in the past. That's a good point. Yeah, and they're great at the engagement function when they're doing that too. Right? They have a great accessible voice as they kind of narrate what they're doing and they're really great about kind of creating commentary and meanwhile they're typically like a one person production crew and what it is they're doing, but they do kind of create a sense of ease in, in how they deliver the material. Mm hmm And for PR pros, 
you've talked about content creators and how much more is it now becoming more content creation or you relying on how to create content creation for your clients and companies? Is it like over half of your skills should be in there or is it still focused on writing? Well, I think that there's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship there, right? Obviously. And sometimes we try to create two separate venues or two separate categories. When we talk about content creation and great writing. And interestingly enough, if you ask any hiring manager, right, and you know this, right, but like any hiring manager in PR right now, whether they're talking about mid-level or entry-level professionals in the industry, the number one biggest skill set deficit that they see is good writing. And, and this is also a message out there for anyone who is interviewing, never tell a hiring manager that that's a growth area for you. Um, because if you are a good writer, I mean, a truly a good writer, that, that means that you're a versatile writer. And sometimes there are people who have an expertise in a type of writing, and that means that there's kind of a fixed venue that they can and will get deployed. But if you're, I mean, a good content creator, which typically means the same thing, you should be comfortable, you know, uh, pivoting from long-form content to support internal communications to a well-worded scheduled series of posts within social media to then helping with web content and understanding you know the difference in the audience reaction seeing something in an inbox versus the impact that seo has on your word choice and understanding some of the tools that are out there to help you dictate how to make sure that you, what you're writing isn't just relevant but actually visible in the landscape. So I'd say that it's definitely like a 50 to 60% proposition in terms of content creation. But I do believe that it just stems back to good writing. And for some reason in our industry, we still, I think, don't necessarily own that as much as we should universally as a critical skill because we have so many different venues now where we use writing that. Sometimes we can say that we're a very capable content creator, but we're talking about maybe two thirds of the pie and that other third of the pie may not, you know, maybe the, the portion of writing that's really critical to an employer. So, and the good thing is that this is a skill set that everybody can improve on their own. And typically the best way to do it is just become a sponge for good content. That old adage, the best way to improve your writing is reading. So be a student and really a, a sponge for great writing it just helps to build out your skill set mm. and do you think strategies in the future for pr pros will more focus only on digital or do you think physical collateral will still have a role to play i think at this stage i really think that the digital function will grow but i think it's difficult to commit to saying that our future is only focused on digital it's interesting when you, and also, it's also defining and understanding how a lot of the media companies that we historically would say are traditional media are retrofitting what it is that they do. I mean, we mentioned the podcasts that are being produced by mainstream media organizations. And we look at, I think, the reality that any campaign that we facilitate to connect our customers has to have 
a series of impressions to engage them. And those have to come from different venues. So I think that traditional media and collateral development will always have a role to play in, in what we do. But I think there's going to be an increased demand to make sure that that content has sort of a symbiotic relationship with the messaging that we're using in digital and that there's connectivity between the two. So I think that there's no future for any peer professional that doesn't want to grow their digital fluency. I think that's the true statement, but I think there's also still a, a demand for that core skill set that a lot of us have grown up in the industry. Mm -hmm. And since you are a specialist in crisis comm, how should PR pros focus on writing or even pivoting crisis comm? Should they really do it on the fly since a lot of this kind of hit all of a sudden, or should a lot of PR pros figure out how to write a crisis comm and do it for the future or at least update whatever they have? It's a really interesting question. Six months ago, I would have had a very black and white answer. And now it's a little bit of black, a little bit of white, and a pinch of gray on top because fundamentally, every PR professional has a responsibility to grow the function of crisis communications for clients beyond a reactionary practice because that's the part that clients expect, right? Clients expect it for quote-unquote fixers or spin doctors or all those other kind of diminutive terms for a very sophisticated area of counsel that we provide. But the reality is that good PR practitioners are developing plans and developing a conversation around emerging crisis with clients. In PRSA, when you pursue your accreditation in public relations, you spend a lot of time talking about sort of these three different types of crisis, right? There's the emerging crisis, the issues that don't yet have a tangible impact but likely could translate or escalate into a physical issue that you're having to react to. And you've got then an immediate crisis, which is what most of us spend the majority of our time dealing with as PR professionals. And then there are sustained crises, which are what every individual is dealing with right now. Dealing with the coronavirus is a sustained crisis. It's something that is an issue that impacts an organization that goes on for months and requires continued staffing of, of people to react. So the biggest challenge with my charge to professionals typically in talking about crisis is that there was no real window to address this pandemic crisis in the emerging stage. Every professional, you know, in, in the matter of one and a half weeks, we went from being fundamentally aware about this distant issue that was taking place overseas to then having the World Health Organization declare a global pandemic. And so, like, I know that within my organization, our crisis communications and crisis management program played a pivotal role in helping to mobilize all the different offices on a regional basis to use their skills, which was great. But at the same time, we didn't get to proactively address this as much as I think any organization would like to. And I think we've been doing an exceptional job in supporting and reacting to the coronavirus pandemic. But what, on the contrary, what's interesting about this now is that we're in this odd window of counsel to clients where we're still doing emergency response. We're still dealing with impacts just to health and safety for our clients. And at the same time, we're being asked to promote their 
products and services because clients need to know about business continuity and you need to know that there's continued support for them. So right now, I think that there's this demand to pivot a little bit, as you're saying, and react to some things that are unforeseen that are popping up, potential threats to staff or production lines or supply chains that may be impacting our clients. But we also, in this sort of window where things have sort of slowed down in terms of sporadic incidents to actually start making improvements to our documents, to our protocols, to our policies. We're doing that as an organization now. I mean, we're, we're recognizing that we're very proud of our response, that while we're still in the middle of this, this is a great opportunity to better build out our business continuity plan and to make sure that all the valuable insights that we've been gathering over the last two months doesn't disappear. And so I think our industry has a, a tremendous role to play in aggregating all that intelligence and all the lessons that we've learned and making sure that they're documented to improve our process. Because fundamentally, you, as a PR person dealing with crisis, you can prove your worth and be very impressive by being the Lone Ranger that helps your executives react to moments when they surface, but you can create a invaluable relationship by helping your organization to create an ongoing conversation around crisis management and preparedness. And that happens with good plans and good table tax exercises and, and continued trainings that happen year-round so that, frankly, the plans that you help articulate become less a, a manual that gets pulled out to react to a situation, but more the plans become an agenda that is in use year-round to kind of create a culture of, of preparedness and vigilance to help react to these things when they do pop up. Mm -hmm. And for those first time actually writing a crisis plan, what are some good resources for them to figure this out? Because I'm pretty sure post-pandemic, all businesses are going to be like, okay, what is our crisis plan? Absolutely. I think that they're, first of all, I, I, this is my obligatory but sincere testimonial for the Public Relations Society of America. A lot of people are always asking about the perceived value. If you're investing in that two to $300 membership every year, what do you get in, in response for that? I will say that the Public Relations Society of America has an amazing suite of services for continuing education, live webinars, in-person events, although we'll see how some of that evolves over the next year, but a tremendous volume of on-demand webinars from critical experts that do this very well. You'll also have access to case studies, award-winning campaigns involved with crisis communication. I know personally that my involvement with CRSA in, in just taking the courses that they have and absorbing a lot of the, the content relative to crisis communication has improved our approach at Santec tremendously. And I, I really attribute a great deal of that. The other thing I'd say, and this is the part that sometimes some practitioners are a little less likely to suggest or hesitant to maybe implement, but it there's a responsibility with crisis to simply connect the dots. If you are helping to support a client manage their crisis preparedness program, the very first thing that you should do is sit down and ask them for all of their standard operating procedures 
because you're not going to be the first person in the organization to bring up the topic of how to react to issues, but you're going to be the first person that probably addresses reputational management around those issues. So looking at their standard operating procedures, look at their risk protocols that are maybe implemented by the in-house attorneys. Ask human resources for their materials. And the reality is you're going to see a tremendous volume of really good operational initiatives to react to these issues, but you're going to immediately see the gaps in how those things are communicated to staff. What are the ancillary communications protocols that are going to be needed to make sure that these groups interact with each other when these incidents happen? So I think sometimes the inspiration to really understand how to help an organization is already there, but you really have to become a student of their, their practices because it's you're there really to just create connectivity. And sometimes it's aggregating content that they have, but also making sure that there is a solid approach for assessing issues between all of the different functional support teams and counselors within the organization and the executives. And then you can build in your expertise with crafting messaging and training professionals and making sure that people understand their critical role as it relates to reputation management, because a lot of individuals will understand their role when it comes to dealing with an employee issue if they're an HR professional, or in looking at the legality of a situation if they're a member of the risk team, but their role in helping you to communicate to relevant publics, that's a whole other interesting topic that you get to own and you get to help make your organization better prepared for this. What do you think the post-pandemic strategy should be for the communication strategy for companies? Absolutely. Post-pandemic, I think every organization, actually to answer that question, I'd actually reverse it a little bit. If you look at what every PR professional was asked to help assist with in the first stages of this pandemic, it was exit strategies. How do you help communicate that the workforce that's supporting a brand is going remote for the most part, you know, with the exception of a lot of utilities and essential services. And then how do you communicate to customers that there's a business continuity strategy, that the services and products are going to continue? Now, I think in in reverse, the very first issue that every PR professional needs to address, that first tier, is creating assuredness within a workforce. And you're seeing tremendous examples of that. I mean, um, Ford Motor Company put together a 64-page manual to reintroduce staff into the workplace. They just brought, I think, 60,000-plus employees back their manufacturing lines this week and created a branded program solely for creating awareness and comfort and new protocols to help people be safe in the workplace. Every company has the responsibility to start their program with an initiative that emulates that in some fashion. At Stantec, we have an entire digital office resource center that we built out that helps at the local level, every market operation understand what their resources are to potentially reintroduce staff, what kind of safety signage is needed, what the new protocols are they need to deploy, and also helping to create some standby messaging to communicate to staff around what the new norms will be in our workplace. And I think that's the first tier that every 
good practitioner a PR should be addressing with their clients. And then the second part is to be expected, right? It's, it's explaining your approach to safety to customers because many of them in all of what's happened aren't necessarily at this point doubting the the quality of what you produce. But now that you have people who are back and are going to be co-located, they're going to want to know a little bit about your approach to safety along with what your new services and offerings are. So I think it's taking it in that, that two-tiered strategy, making sure that you have a workforce that's essentially singing from the same song sheet and that they are really adopting and owning the culture of safety and uh, mitigating any issues and then making sure that the portions of that are relevant are getting communicated to your clients and customers because they also want to know that business is still moving forward. They want to know that you're not just surviving, but that you're continuing to innovate and create new products, services, that there's new campaigns that are there. So I, I almost feel like it's in reverse order now. You're looking at, I guess it's really three tiers. It's starting with your staff and communicating and creating culture. It's making sure that your customer base knows that as your brand evolves back into the workplace, that you're going to be meeting and exceeding the expectations of the workplace and making sure that what you provide for clients is going to be done safely. And then I think the third tier is really getting into that innovation approach. What's new? What's new with business? As long as we're continuing and as long as we're going to be touting that we are going to continue moving forward, I think there's that opportunity to just frankly demonstrate that it's back to business as usual, even if it's a little bit of a new usual. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you just answered my question that there should be about several different phases or tiers for this to actually happen, or at least to communicate to your customers. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what does the future look like for the PR industry? Is it looking really great and there's, still changes, but it still looks really, really positive for the PR industry in general. I think there's a tremendous value. I think I read in, I want to say it was Fast Company when this first popped up, to be expected, obviously there was a huge surge in agency retainers because everybody was looking for help in communicating their community investment strategy, their commitment to safety. It's hard to say if that will sustain probably won't for those purposes anyway but i think that there's a tremendous potential here for the industry to continue growing we've seen growth i mean even as the narrative has continued around the changing media landscape and the way that we need to redefine what it is we do you've seen growth in our industry you've seen growth in membership and trade organizations growth in the retainers and that are taking place we're obviously going into a recession and on the end of this post-pandemic, but I, I think a lot of people maybe forget that if you go back in time just 10 or 15 years and you look at when the major conversion happened with social media from being a social platform to a marketing platform, really in that 2006-2010 window, that's when our country was in a recession. And there's a time to innovate and there's a time to recommend new approaches to clients. And I think that's where we are now. It may not come with as many significant 
budgets to demonstrate things that may not have as much new investment in new platforms or potential devices and services, but I think that there's an opportunity to demonstrate a tremendous amount of innovation so that when we do see a little bit more economic recovery, that we're there to go along with that in the scope of what we do. I think in terms of our industry, the other big, I think integral part of our future is diversifying our own workforce in what we consider PR professionals. Having individuals that we recognize with more subject matter expertise, right? Like I think we, we were mentioning earlier, it's that jack-of-all-trades. I think that there's a tremendous need for those individuals to kind of be strategists to understand the whole of how a campaign works. But I think you are going to see a continued need for people with specialized skills to be a part of public relations teams as you look at the need for digital, as you look at the need for content. Mm-hmm. And any final thoughts for our listeners? I heard this once a number of years ago, and it's a quote that has been attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, so I'm hoping that I'm accurate in saying that, but famously, someone who I believe is him said, the man who knows how will always have a job. The man who knows why will always be his, and I'll add in, or her boss. So I did that to say, the man who knows how will always have a job. The man or woman who knows why will always be his boss. So I think that's an interesting adage as we look at the diversification of a workforce and as we look at incorporating people with specialized skill sets, it's still really critical to make sure that we are aggregating all of these new channels and platforms into a strategic discussion with leaders because they're, we're in the same way that I feel like we're beginning to emulate that window back when social media became a marketing vehicle. And now we're going to be looking at a lot of new needs in this post-pandemic virtualized landscape. The need to make sure that we're demonstrating value, we're, we're showing results that are supported by data, and that we're using those windows to build the business that we support clients. I think it's going to be really critical because there will be a window here where we can excite executives with new things, but those new things need to tether back to you know, supporting their, their strategic objectives. And I think that many of the practitioners that are out there who are doing that well, I think, will continue being leaders in our industry. And I think that that's the exciting movement that our industry is heading in, uh, you know, to be honest. So I think it's a, a wildly inspiring time. All right. So for all you out there, just don't know the how, but also know the why so you can be the boss. That's right. Thank you, Dan, for being on PR360 and sharing your wealth of knowledge about the PR industry. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate the time. And thank you for tuning in to PR360. And as always, if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. Our guys stay safe. And have a good week. See you next week. Later.